What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Unsolved Mayhem. Welcome, everybody, to Unsolved Mayhem. Welcome to the new listeners, which is probably pretty much all of you. Before we get started on today's episode, which will be a bonus on our Missing Persons podcast, so you obviously already know where that is, and you probably already know, but just in case you don't, we have another podcast, Speaking of Murders. Make sure you're going and checking that out. If you want to see photos associated with today's episode, You can find those on our socials that are linked in the show and episode descriptions. We have Instagram and Facebook. If there's a case that you want to hear on the show, send that over to our email, unsolvedmayhem at gmail.com. Don't forget to leave us five stars and uh, leave a comment, leave a review, share it with your friends, your family, whoever. And if you would like to support the show, also in the show notes and episode description is a link for our Patreon uh, where you can do that. and. you're also getting bonus episodes every other Saturday, so it's not like you're helping us out for nothing. You get something out of it, too, and you'll get a shout-out on the show. So all that stuff said, Sarah is going to be telling us our unsolved case today, our unsolved mystery about the mayhem. So what are we what are we talking about today? Or who? Where? Uh, it's three who's. Three who's. Okay. Okay, so... One of these girls was requested by Paula. Shout out to Paula. Thank you for the request, the suggestion. We appreciate it. And when I started looking into the girl's case that she requested, there were two other little girls that people believe were connected. So they think three girls that went missing or were murdered are all connected in some way. Now, there's a fourth girl that could or could not be connected also, but I'm going to talk about her on the Missing podcast. Okay. On my next Missing. Because to me, she didn't really seem as linked as these three, but there are some similarities. Alrighty. The first girl we're going to talk about, her name is Teresa Dean. She was born September 20th, 1987 in Macon, Georgia. She was described as being a very sweet little girl, like everyone's friend. Like she didn't know an enemy. At the time this took place, she was 11 years old. It was on August 15th, 1999. She told her mom she was going to a friend's house to look at some puppies. Her mom, Dorothy, told the Macon Telegraph later. She said, bye, mama. I'll see you later. And then she left. Teresa never made it to her friend's house that day. She was last seen walking down Lawrence Street near her family's mobile home at around 8 p.m. 
An extensive search brought no clues to where she may have gone. And nothing happened with her case until October of 2000 when Dorothy's live-in boyfriend at the time, his name was Cody Landers, was indicted on six counts of child molestation involving two children. The fuck? He took a polygraph test voluntarily about Teresa's disappearance, and he failed. Cody tried to blame it on the person that administered the test. He, but then he called himself a suspect, but police never named him as one. He went to prison regardless on the child molestation charges, but never faced any charges when it came to Teresa because there was no proof that he had anything to do with it. Yeah, but, I mean, let's be real for a moment. Like, bruh was molesting kids, and the kid that he was around the most just circumstantially went fucking missing. Yeah. I don't buy that he's not in some way involved in that. In her case, several people were interviewed and given polygraph tests, but nothing came from that, and no one saw anything suspicious that day when she disappeared. Police searched in a five-mile radius around the area she lived, and the Georgia FBI helped the Twiggs County Sheriff's Office search ground, air, and nearby bodies of water. Throughout the years, police have gotten no closer to figuring out what happened to Teresa. Now, that's her story. That's it. That's all the information there is about her story. The things you need to take away from her story are that she was 11 and she lived in a mobile home park and it happened in 1999. So the next girl, which is the one that was requested, her name is Shannon Nicole Polk. When it was researching her case that led me to this like big, right? what the hell is Mm -hmm. going on here kind of thing. Right. Shannon was also 11. She lived with her mom, Marie, and her older sister, Lisa, in the Candlestick Mobile Home Park in Prattville, Alabama. Now, what was the mobile home park from the first girl? Remind me. It was in Macon, Georgia. Okay, so different. Different trailer park. Different trailer park. Different Different state. Different state. Okay. So Shannon knew almost all the kids in the neighborhood, and also their parents. She was known to, like, go help out elderly neighbors with things that they were having trouble doing. Like, she was a very helpful, friendly, reliable little girl. Yeah, or helping them with yard work or whatever. On August 16th, 2001, so remember... Teresa went missing on August 15th, 1999. So it's almost two years to the day. Exactly. Marie left for work, and Lisa was supposed to watch Shannon while her mom was working. When Marie left, both girls were still asleep. Some reports said that Shannon was only supposed to leave the house that day to go to a neighbor's and pick up a baby walker that her mom let one of the neighbors borrow. Like a stroller? Like, no, you know, like, like you put the baby in and it could walk. 
Oh, like a walker. I know what you're talking about. It's got the little little cloth seat in the middle of it. Yes. And it's got the the round base at the bottom with the wheels on it, and sometimes I'll like have a tray in the front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I had one of those. Those things are badass. Samantha had one too. She rolled it down the stairs. Oh shit. Sure did. <laughs> it's her. Glad you're glad you're um, okay. Emotional damage. <laughs> That was the only reason she was supposed to leave the house that day. She wasn't supposed to just go run the neighborhood like she normally did. When Lisa woke up that morning, Shannon was already gone. She didn't think anything of this, though, because Shannon often went out to play with the other kids in the mobile home park. And she, I guess, didn't know that she wasn't allowed to do that that day. When Marie returned from work, Shannon was still not home. When she was still not home by dinner, her mom started to freak out because it was not like her to be late for dinner. Worried sick about Shannon, she called police at 9 p.m. to report her daughter missing. Now, in Prattville, Alabama, at this time, children didn't just go missing. This is a very small town. Shannon's disappearance pretty much made the whole city band together to search for her. Okay. So they were all in a panic. Yes. They covered the city in yellow ribbons to raise awareness. Police were immediately involved as well in the searches, taking Marie very seriously, even creating a task force that was strictly to find Shannon. No, I'm glad okay, to hear Alabama. That I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're taking it that seriously. Yes. Like, there's a lot of missing cases that I wish they would take it this fucking seriously. Yeah, me too. Wait, is this the Alabama case or is this the Georgia? This is Alabama. Oh, okay. Yeah. School was supposed to start in four days from when she went missing. And Shannon was, like, super excited because she was going to be starting middle school. And no one believed that she would just leave on her own. Right. Her neighbor said that on the day she went missing, she had went around asking if any of them needed anything because that's who she was as a person. One of her neighbors, a lady named Mrs. Mary, said Shannon would come over and help her give her dog a bath and brush the dog's teeth and that she was she described her as being beautiful inside and out. With, like, such a kind heart that it was hard for anyone to believe this could have happened to her. Police believe it was this trusting nature of hers that might have made Shannon an easy target to a predator. Yeah, well, you know what? It's unfortunate, but, like, a lot of times it's the the nicest of people who end up, you know, being the victims of, of stuff like this. They're willing to put themselves out there to help others, and they get... Uh, unwanted attention because of it. They get spotted or whatever by someone with less than honorable intentions. Yeah, I was literally just talking about it last night. I was like, everybody has a motive to every action they do. Usually my motive is I'm hungry and I want more ramen. (laughs) There's always a motive. Well, despite all the effort from the volunteers and investigators, weeks passed with no sign of Shannon. On September 11, 2001, the whole United States was rocked by the tragedy of 9-11. But Shannon's family and friends had already been living in a nightmare for a month when 9-11 happened. 
And as horrible as 9-11 was, it did not slow down the search for Shannon. Good. Yeah, that's good. Well, it would not be any of the hundreds of volunteers or police that would finally locate Shannon. And she would not get to come home the way everyone hoped. On October 6, 2001, two men out rabbit hunting noticed a black trash trash bag just laying in the woods of a public hunting property 10 miles north of Prattville. Oh, no. Oh, boy. They did not decide to see what was in this bag until they were heading back to their truck after hunting. Like, at first, they were just, like, they went through the woods and saw the bag and were like... Yeah, we'll check it later. No, it was more like, is who would throw their trash way out here? Because it was, like, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on the way back, one of the guys was like, you know what? I'm just going to go look and see what's in this bag. The other guy was like, "Uh, it's probably just trash. Right. Inside the black trash bag were the remains of Shannon Polk. She was bound with rope and her underwear were around her head. Police have never released any other details about Shannon's murder. Where her body was found made police believe the person responsible was local and knew the area well because this location was completely in the middle of nowhere. And to them, only someone that knew the area would choose this spot. Yeah, someone who knew it would even know that it existed. Right. It's also telling me that they're a hunter. Not necessarily. Because think about it, like Ted Bundy was not a hunter but he had a spot up in the fucking mountains where he was leaving people and no one else knew that place even fucking existed. I don't know. But Those oh, brains work fucking different. Yeah, they do. I was going to say, same with Gary Ridgway because he wasn't a hunter either. Yeah, no, he, he left them spots. all over but the woods. he picked woods. all kinds of weird shit. Like, yeah. often just like, oh, there's an off-ramp. Let me fucking throw some people yeah. off of that shit. I don't know. I know. It's fucking weird. Well, the way this place is described is like you wouldn't like you would have had to have parked and walked through these woods to get to this spot. So they would have carried her a really long way. Hidden with care. Yeah. Over the years, hundreds of people were interviewed and police have followed every tip that has been called in. There were 200 residents living in the mobile home park at the time, and police spoke with every single one of them, most on the day she disappeared. And not a single one of them came up as, like, suspect in any way? Well, a big problem with this case is police have too many suspects. Oh, fuck. But they can't tie any of them to Shannon's murder. And now I'm going to tell you about a few of them. The first was a guy everyone just referred to as the Halloween man because he decorated the outside of his trailer every year for Halloween. But he was not home on August 16th. One house over from Shannon's was where a police officer lived. And Shannon went to his house that morning to ask if his kids could play. He told her no, so according to him, she left. Okay, no one can verify where Shannon was from noon to one fifteen, but we do know that the police off we they do know the police officer leaves the mobile home park at one fifteen to go to work. 
And he said he saw the baby walker that Shannon had picked up sitting on the curb right outside of the Halloween man's house. So by 1.15, she had already went to the neighbor to get the walker. She had it when she stopped to ask the police if she could play with his kids. And then this baby walker, he sees it sitting outside on the curb in front of this Halloween man's house. Okay? Another neighbor, thinking the walker was free, took it home and cleaned it. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Having no clue, she was washing away possible evidence. Damn. Then there's a guy named Jack Earl Gibson. He was another strange man in the trailer park. While others were searching everywhere for Shannon, he wouldn't help. He did allow police to look inside his trailer, and when asked if he had seen her, his response was, haven't seen her, she is probably just out getting candy. That's a weird response. And then the next day, when they talked to him again, he said, she was probably just at someone's house. Okay, um, I just want to throw this in there. I get a super bad vibe off of this guy for a couple of reasons. One, full name. Sounds like the only way that people address this guy. Well, yeah, he has, like, that serial killer name vibe. Yeah, well, Jack is shorthand for John. It's the, you know, like, Bob is for Robert or, you know, whatever. Jack is usually used in lieu of John. So his name, either way, is Jack Earl Gibson or John Earl Gibson, which totally fucking gives you that vibe. (laughs) And then It does give you the vibe. Beyond that? We've talked about enough serial killers that we know their excuses are generally very basic shit where it's like, I don't know, shit's weird. We discussed this. <laughs> yeah. When you're like, hey, did you kill that person? No. Well, do you know anything about when they went missing? No, but shit's weird, man. I don't know what to tell you. They probably want to get some candy. Like that kind of fucking answer. Like, I don't know, she is probably in the trailer park somewhere because she lives here. Yeah. Where it's just very basic, like, thank you, Captain fucking obvious. Give me something that'll actually fucking help. Oh, well, your vibes are going to get even worse about him. Yeah, it's like a very nonchalant, casual answer. My thing is... He might have just said, shit be weird, man. Yeah. My thing is, with that whole situation, is why give a place that she... Like, what she could possibly be doing instead. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, like why? <laughs> why? I haven't would seen just her. Say, Sorry. No, I haven't no, seen I her. No, I haven't seen her. Why did you have to say specifically... She's probably, she's probably out, out getting, getting candy. candy. Yeah. And that shit bothers me. <laughs> well, he was known in the mobile home park as the root beer man because he would try to lure kids to his house with root beer and candy. Ah, the candy. On August 19th, 2001, so what is that, four to three days after she went missing? He was arrested on four counts of possession of child pornography and 40 counts of possession of obscene material containing persons under the age of 17. And he, they didn't immediately, like, charge him with her? No, because they couldn't find anything to tie him to her. But he got another 956 counts were presented to the grand jury of, and I'm sorry if I butcher this county, a 
Otago Otago County, and his bond was set at $410,000 because police found when they, it was kind of like a circumstantial thing when they were looking for Shannon and he let them go into his house, they were like, uh, bitch, what the hell is happening in your house? They found over 1,200 images of children between the ages of 6 and 12 years old. Oh, my fucking God. So the root beer man was given 1 to 10 years per charge he faced. So he's in there for the rest of his life. He's in there for the rest of his life. Yeah. Even if one year is the charge. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. It, that, you know what? That gives me Jeffrey uh, vibes, though. Because, yeah, yeah, because that's what happened to him. I mean, it was, hey, we need the key. I'll go get it. Oh, what the fuck is this? It almost seemed like a no-brainer that he was involved, especially when neighbors said he would pay Shannon to clean his house. But police have not been able to find anything to link him to her murder. So there were no photos of Shannon? No. There is nothing on her body, DNA-wise? No. Another neighbor that was looked at closely was a man named Ty Foster. His children were friends with Shannon, and they often played together. He also did not help with the search. Instead, he stood in his front yard with his head down the whole entire time. And he was also arrested later for charges involving children. What the fuck what is the happening is in this oh, trailer park? Exactly what mobile I was home say. park. On October 7th, 2003, so two years later, he pled guilty to the assault and sodomy of a nine-year-old little boy. Oh, you know what, right. though? Uh, what is happening in this trailer park? I, I, it's like... I'm sorry Shannon went missing and was murdered, but at the same time, she probably saved a bunch of other fucking kids. Oh, because they put a microscope on this trailer park? Right. Yeah. 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 Still, man. At some point during the investigation, traces of Shannon's blood were found in his trailer, but it could not be determined how long the blood was there, and... She did play in that house a lot. He claimed that at some point she had a nosebleed there, which she was known to have nosebleeds, but her mom said she never remembered Shannon coming home from his house after having a nosebleed. Are we talking like our cousin-style nosebleeds where it's like head-to-toe nosebleed? I don't... It just said she had nosebleeds sometimes. Hmm. Because if that's the case, yeah, you would definitely remember that. The FBI was involved in this case pretty early on, and they created a profile for the man they believed is responsible, saying they believed this was a white man with a low-paying job that involved low skill, that he was a loner between the ages of 35 and 40. How did this fit? The profile fit? Oh, it fits. Gibson guy or the... It fit either one of them. They also said he would be familiar with that Atoga wildlife management area where her body was found and that he was possibly a hunter. He may pay close attention to the case and have changed his appearance at some point between August 16, 2001 and October 6, 2001 when she was actually found. 
they told people to like look for dudes who had been acting anxious or had tried to leave town suddenly during those times, but nothing really came of their profile. A composite sketch was made of a man police believed was involved from interviews with some of the children in the mobile home park because they described a man in a white car talking to Shannon. Okay? All right. So police released the sketch on every news outlet at the time, and it was used when a story was written about Shannon's abduction or murder. So, like, this sketch... They were like, this is our dude, based on what these kids were saying. But in February of 2017, a special investigative grand jury was set up to re-examine this case because they had so many suspects and very little evidence. They wanted a grand jury to, like, review all the evidence and see if they could come up with anything. Mm-hmm. It consisted of 18 jurors that would look at all the evidence from all agencies involved because she went missing from one place, found in, found another. in another place, plus the FBI is involved. So this, these 18 jurors were the first ones to see all the evidence all together in the same place. This grand jury found that the composite sketch was not valid. When they they interviewed the kids who were no longer kids, because this was in 2017, they said that they made up the story about Shannon, but not because they were trying to be malicious. They really believed that they were trying to help the police, like they just wanted to be involved and help in some way. So this composite sketch that had been going out everywhere since 2011 was like null and void guy didn't even exist oh man that's a shame yeah that's super unfortunate yeah after a year of going over the case the grand jury asked for an extension and has yet to give any more findings in this case and that was in 2017 because they're also pretty stumped by it it was a blow to the investigation that the composite sketch was not valid, but it also gave police hope that now maybe someone would come forward that knows something, but they were like, okay, well, this sketch doesn't look like this person, so maybe it's really not them. So they were hoping, like, okay, maybe you know something. Now you'll come forward that you know this sketch is bogus. Shannon's family has never given up hope that her killer will be brought to justice. Marie and Lisa moved away from the mobile home park shortly after Shannon's murder. I don't blame them. They said it was too hard to live there without her. Yeah, it's understandable. Right? So I'm, I have phone numbers that you can call if you know anything about Teresa's case or Shannon's case that I feel like it would just be easier if we put them in the episode description. Well, since where's the third who? Oh, I'm telling you about the third who right now. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about the third girl. Her name was Heaven Lachey Ross, and she went by the name of Shay. All right. She was also 11 years old. 
She had just started middle school in Northport, Alabama. So this one is also in Alabama. At Collins Riverside Middle School. She lived in the Willowbrook trailer park with her mom, stepdad, and older sister. On Tuesday, August 19th, 2003, so it's literally August 15th, 16th, and now the 19th. And each was a two-year gap. Two-year gap. She left for school at 6.55 a.m. and walked the 50 yards to her bus stop. Her 13-year-old sister, Alex, had left the house a couple minutes before her, and while they were, like, on their way to this bus stop, a horrible storm, like, came in, like, super fast and started pouring the rain on them. Well, Shay's stepdad, Kevin, decided to go pick up the girls from the bus stop and just drive them to school because he said... Shay was, like, deathly afraid of storms, and he didn't want her to have to stand out there and be freaking out. So he stepped outside in the driveway and started yelling in the direction of the bus stop for the two girls, but only Alex answered back. There was no, like, sign of Shay. Kevin went back inside, thinking maybe she snuck back inside somehow because of the storm. Like, it scared her so bad that she just ran back in the house. But she was not in there. And he panicked and ran to her mother, Beth, to tell her what was going on. Fearing the worst, Beth called police. She knew her daughter, and she wasn't the type of kid that would just skip school. But of course, police were not very concerned. At first, she was not as lucky as Shannon. And even though Shay was only 11, they did not believe anything bad happened to her. Police told Beth that Shay was probably just somewhere hanging out with friends and would come home when school let out. Beth insisted that her daughter would never do that. Especially if she's scared of thunderstorms and it's, it's storming It's literally 6.55 in the morning. Right. She was walking to the bus stop. And her sister was already there. Her sister had left the house a couple minutes before her to head towards the bus stop. So her sister, yes, was walking ahead of her. They didn't leave at the exact same time. Gotcha. Okay. So it was basically trailer, Shay, Alex, in distant like. Yeah. She was told that since no one witnessed her being forced into a car or anything, they could not issue an Amber Alert or file a missing persons report, but they would come to the mobile home park and go door to door to see if any of the neighbors had saw anything. Because no one witnessed her abduction. It never happened. It, It never happened. Three witnesses recalled seeing her walking to the bus stop that morning but none of them saw anything unusual. Another kid walking to the bus saw her come out of her house. Another neighbor had looked out her window right as Shay walked by, and the other witness that lived closer to the bus stop said she saw Shay walking down Hunter Creek Road towards the bus stop. So three people saw her walking in the direction of the bus stop. Meaning she was going to school. Yeah. None of these witnesses could tell police if she made it to the bus stop, however. 
everyone the police talked to were very cooperative and even allowed police to walk through their homes to verify Shay was not inside. When they were satisfied with their search of Willowbrook, they went to the middle school and talked to the kids that she knew. Every kid they talked to seemed to be very confused by her disappearance. They were, like, police asked them, like, if she had access to a cell phone or a computer, but she didn't. This kind of helped them rule out the idea that she had met a stranger online right. and, like, met them, met up yeah. with them. Well, school ended for the day, and there was still no sign of Shay. Police were then forced to face the fact that they were wrong about her skipping school to hang out with her friends. And because of their lack of urgency when she was reported missing, now eight hours have gone by. Yeah. And if she had been abducted, she could fucking be anywhere. In eight eight hours? It literally takes, takes eight hours to get from here to where we used to live in Kentucky. Like, yeah, that's what I that's what I'm thinking. You she could have been anywhere literally states hours. away. Yeah. yeah. By late afternoon, police were trying to make up for lost time. Willowbrook was now swarming with detectives, patrol officers, and reporters. By nightfall, the scene had local, state, and federal law enforcement officers there. They set up a mobile command center that would be in operation for ten weeks. When word spread about Shay being missing, hundreds of volunteers joined the effort to search. Olive Garden and Kmart provided food and drinks to the volunteers. Kinko's and Office Max printed thousands of missing persons flyers with ink that was provided by Home Depot. Detectives pulled surveillance video from a nearby business, but it was a dead end. During the searches, Beth got into an argument with one of the, like, head of the volunteer groups, accusing them of stealing a $500 donation made by a church. Okay? The head of the volunteers denied this, saying they had cashed all the checks and given the money to the family. And volunteer, because of this whole situation, volunteers started accusing Shay's family of having something to do with her disappearance and not being involved with looking for her. Okay? So a fight broke out at the volunteer center, and police had to break it up. Well, I would assume so. This whole situation made people start pointing their fingers at the family. And Beth and Kevin voluntarily took a polygraph test and passed. Police determined they were not involved. They don't even remotely sound involved. And Beth said she believed being an interracial couple living in a trailer park is what made people not believe them. Because at this time, I mean, they were targeted I was going to say, it's 2003, yeah. but still not quite where we are today. Exactly. Okay, so a month went by before police had anything substantial to go on. They believed a friend of Shay's older brother might be involved. So her older brother did not live at the trailer, but they thought his friend had something to do with it. 
He was 21 years old and had been in trouble before for harboring underage runaways. But after extensive questioning, they determined he was not involved in Shay's disappearance. Five weeks into the investigation, a mysterious fire broke out at the family's home. The fire was confined to Shay's bedroom and destroyed almost all of her belongings, but did not spread to the rest of the house. Arson investigators said the fire was intentionally set, and the family had no idea who would have done such a thing, and police could never figure out who started the fire. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty odd. That's very strange. Yeah. The holidays approached and police were no closer to finding Shay. Beth tried to stay positive. She bought her daughter Christmas presents, hoping she would be home in time to open them. But that did not happen. Despite all the attention Shay's disappearance received, nothing was helping police find her. The sheriff went out and he bought the exact hot pink Bratz t-shirt that she was wearing that day. So he hung it up in the Tuscaloosa County Sheriff's Office so his deputies would know what to look for while searching through wooded areas. Like, he wanted them to have the visual have the visual of the exact color shirt and what was on it. But three years passed with no leads until on December 19th, 2006, a man in Holt, Alabama, was searching an abandoned house for cans Now, there's two versions of the story. One says he was looking through this abandoned house for cans and bottles to recycle for the money. Mm -hmm. Another version of the story says he was walking his dog and his dog got away from him and ran inside this house. Don't know which story is true because it's, I mean, either is plausible. Yeah. Either way, he stumbled upon skeletal remains. When deputies arrived, they immediately knew this was the body of Shay because her skeleton was still wearing her hot pink Bratz t-shirt. Oh, boy. She had been stuffed inside a crawl space that was filled with trash. Her backpack was found a few feet away, and this abandoned house was only eight miles from Willowbrook, located off of a dirt road and in an area known for for drug activity. Because of the house's location, detectives believed the person that put her body there was a local. Because this house is not, it's like the same situation as Shannon. The house was located in the middle of nowhere. Like, you wouldn't just stumble upon this house. Yeah, which the man was probably looking for cans at that point. Police have never released any information on how Shay was killed. Despite having a couple of suspects, they have not had enough evidence to make an arrest. And like I said, this house was known as a drug house. So police believe there has to be someone out there that knows something about Shay's murder. Mm -hmm. But maybe they're afraid to come forward because of activities that were taking place inside said house. That's why you offer full immunity to that. And... Pretty, the family just wants, they want closure. They want to know what happened to their daughter. Like, she's eight miles away. Yeah. In a crawl space of an abandoned house. It's just, it's strange. So even though all three cases 
happened in like different locations, two in Alabama, one in Georgia. People believe a serial killer may be involved because of the age of the girls, the fact that they all lived in a trailer park, and a big thing is that like web sleuths and things like went deeper and they say that in all three areas there was commercial construction going on at the time. Oh. Road work or a bridge being built. Like some kind of state construction was going on in all three areas. Hmm. So hmm. some people point to like a construction worker that traveled to different states. Right. And even police have explored this idea, but they haven't come up, come with, anything? up with anything for it. But that is three of the stories that people think are linked to each other. Two found murdered, one still missing. Crazy. So if if you know anything about any of those and you want to call in a tip, you can find the phone numbers in the episode description. I'll make sure to put them in there. So you can find those there and, and call and help, you know, solve these um, unsolved crimes. So, wow, that is, that's insane. Yeah, I know. I don't know, like, the case I'm going to tell you about next time i don't really think it's a connected but these three makes you wonder like was it a guy who lived in the trailer parks and just moved after each one and kind of laid low and then and it's also weird to me that they all happened in august like days from each other but two years apart right like almost two years to the T, like yeah, like it was some kind of anniversary ritual, ritual or thing like that. that it's just weird. It's very weird, and the also the fact that there was like construction going on at the time and very strange. The fire though that throw that yeah, I don't really understand why they would start a fire in the trailer. Maybe just to throw police off like to make, make it, it look, look more like, like it was the family's yeah, doing yeah that was my thought process on it also to just get rid of the evidence like any evidence i mean that there might would, i don't think there would be any her dna on everything yeah but they could get her dna um i get that but i'm just saying i don't know that's insane how like with shay's case walking to the bus stop like that fucking quickly yeah that far like not even that far behind your older sister and she didn't i mean granted it was storming really bad so she wouldn't have heard anything i wouldn't think if i Shay, feel like, like it would screamed depend. or something but depend. three different people seeing her walking that direction and nobody seeing any other thing thing else is very weird all right well, if you enjoyed today's episode, let us know. Leave us five stars. Leave a comment. And feel free to send us your theories about what's going on with these. Um, send that to our email. Slide it into our DMs on one of our socials. Any final thoughts, anybody? In Chase case with the police, you know, sorry doesn't always fix things. Because that's no. basically how they treated that situation. Like, sorry we waited eight hours. Here we go. We'll really get into it now. Yeah. All right. Well, um... Make sure that you, uh, if you want to hear another Unsolved Up episode, 
Check out the uh, murder podcast next week. It'll be on there on Thursday. See y'all next week. Bye. 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 Bye.